0: Fuck.
1: Oh, it's ruined, I bet. Oh, god damn it, son of a bitch.
0: Josh, j- Joshua.
2: Joshua. Ribbit. Rippet. Ribbit. Rippet. Rip Joshua.
0: Allison. Ow. Allison.
2: DeGrazio. 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 Allison. Brady. Brady. Brady.
1: Kimball. <laughs>
2: Where did you find someone saying my last name?
1: How to pronounce
2: Okay. DeGrazio. Someone said it. Yeah. Oh, weird. I
1: I picked up uh, the Ali G show. I I don't know why, but I was like, "Eh, it's close enough to Ali. Ali.
2: Yeah, sure. Thank you. Allison.
1: Allison.
2: Allison. That's from
1: Friends. Joshua, the Jewish hit indie drama. Joshua. (laughs) (laughs) Griffith. And we all know that's from Andy Uh Griffith. show. uh And then I got. uh, Al Al Michaels calling into the Dan Patrick show on Fox Sports, talking about Dom, Tom Brady's extension or trade from the tr- Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady. After uh, losing Giselle. Brady. Oh, yeah. And then you got, Kimble, which we'll be talking about later, Mr. Kimball uh, with Captain America from 1990. Dope. Yeah. Hi. Hey. Hello. Welcome to Solid Six, a movie podcast where a bunch of us <laughs> Joshua, I'm, I'm awesome. so I'm so
3: like compiling all the different ways that we could get our names together. Anyway, I'm back. Brady Rip it. <laughs> That's
0: how we get. It Joshua DeGrasso.
2: <laughs> I don't like that someone pronounced my name on the internet.
1: It's literally one reference. Uh... One. Because Google kept telling me to be like, the Grazia. I'm like, no, I don't want the feminine. I want the masculine. Thank you. I'm assuming that's what it is. Yeah. I I have no idea. I don't speak Italian, but I'm assuming Zio is male oriented and Zia is female.
2: I would assume so. I don't know what it, they changed it when uh, my family came to Ellis Island to Mm. like Americanize it. I don't actually quite remember.
1: I don't know what it was before. They had something to hide. Yeah.
2: From the forest,
1: maybe we'll keep them off our scent if we change the last vowel.
2: Yeah, and <laughs> put yeah the, the two C's into two Z's. They'll never know. Or Degrassio. like, or
3: the guy writing the name down, just like like, oh, I guess that's what I heard. Yeah, De gra- this De- gr- is you know, Degrazio.
2: De gra- Degrazio.
1: Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you have no idea how much time that, uh, that took to put that together. There was so much of searching of names and pronunciations of names that I liked, but it didn't work with the other word. That's uh, mm-hmm. the producer and me. Speaking of production, you're listening to a movie podcast. The three.
0: Joshua. Allison. Brady.
1: Of us. Uh <laughs> Take turns hosting. And uh, we pick uh, a couple of movies that are a theme to talk about. Last time, what did we talk about?
2: We talked about...
3: Little Murders. Little Murders, which Mm -hmm.
2: I realized, I think my high school did a production of that. (laughs) Yeah. That's
3: really strange. I know.
2: I'm... Fairly certain that they did a production of that when I was in high school.
3: Transgressive. Mm. Like you're, I mean, like I imagine like the, unless you have like a really hip kind of crowd, like who's going to, who's going to show up for that?
2: I don't know. The talking was so fast when I, I remember like seeing it and the talking and the dialogue were so fast. I had no idea what was going on.
3: Mm.
0: Um,
2: But I, I was thinking, well, I'm like, oh no, we definitely did that. huh? Yeah, we had a very uh, robust theater department at my school. Okay,
1: all right. Do you think that there's some sort of zeitgeist thing of like the Zodiac Killer had a bunch of murders and so trying to find a play that's in the approximation called Little Murders? Mm-hmm.
2: The, the, like he was uh, like funding it or what?
1: No, for, for our high school? No, he was doing big murders. Oh, oh, oh. And so we're in high school and so we need to do little murders.
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: You're looking Social. at me like, I'm the biggest idiot, right?
2: Now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm looking past you. That's what's happening. Uh, yeah, just, um, you know, 14-year-olds screaming at each other on stage with topics they don't understand.
1: Yeah, like uh, JFK, which speaking of is the name of the series, uh, which stands for Jesus fucking Christ, where this is going to be where we explore a movie from the 70s to harness the post-assassination, post-assassination, post Warren commission CIA cover-up paranoia and Vietnam angst to create outrage Zadie and overly overtly blink satire we usually eat, edit all that stuff out but Allison's color commentary is forcing us to keep it in because we're not going to separate the tracks now and I'm not I refuse to do that again <laughs> but you know who doesn't struggle to speak the people who give us voicemails, Whoa. send us a voicemail at solid6.net slash voicemail. Oh, wait, that was a rope dope
2: That was really good, Brady.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Email us at podcast at solid6.net. Send us some DMs uh, on Instagram, please. Um, and Twitter, none of us check that these days. We gave up, I think. I did
2: give up. I okay. did give up. Yeah, there was, I...
1: I yeah, I gave up. Yeah. All right, we got to find. I might, I might return. I don't know. uh, We threatened that Patreon like. I think about about that frequently. I I think about
2: that when I'm like driving home from work. I'm like, the Patreon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good thing we promised it right before a bunch of our lives fell apart. (laughs) Perfect timing. Yeah. Uh, Before we get into how we've been, I got to ask you a question, a personal question. Shoot. I don't think we've talked about this before, but after I used your toilet, I wasn't sure if I should like
2: mm.
0: let it mellow. Oh, are you
1: okay if I flush every time? Yes. Okay.
2: We. I don't want
1: to be overly aggressive.
2: No, we. I'm so sorry. Usually, when people are here, I try to be more on top of that. I don't always flush because on I'm top. from I'm from California, and that was that was just part of the. Saving the water because we were in a severe drought. But also our water bill here is absurd. Okay. So sometimes we um, will let it mellow. Uh, maybe after That's... a second or third use, we'll flush because uh, the water bill is insanely high.
3: Say so. I'm, I'm no hero. I'm just trying to save the earth. Like, <laughs> one flush at a time, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
2: It's, you can or you can't. It, just, okay. like, it doesn't matter.
1: I thought that was the case. Like I, I thought about being respectful to you, but I also fear having diseased urine where like you walk into the bathroom, you're like, Oh, Brady's got an issue and he should Are, go see a doctor. But- I
2: well, I think that's a mammalian thing. You know, I, I feel like that's a that's a response to like, you know, I don't want people smelling my butt or my turds or like maybe you do and so you're peeing on the walls or something like that. But like <laughs>
3: It's an
1: act of dominance.
2: Yeah. But um
1: laying hot deuces in the corner behind the toilet.
2: <laughs> Fuck these guys <laughs>
1: So you're indifferent. I'm indifferent. Okay. Yeah.
3: You never know.
2: Unless you're like super fucking dehydrated.
3: Yeah. If it's like rolling out of there, like asparagus and like root beer, like you just got to flush that shit. Yeah. Wait, for your sake? Yes. For everyone's sake. For everyone's sake. As a, if- as an act of good for the world. Yeah. <laughs> the world, which is this household.
2: <laughs> it might as well be with the web and cooped up mm. purposefully.
1: All right. Well, thanks for answering that question. Yeah. How you been?
2: Um, I've been good. I really I I haven't there hasn't been like a lot accomplished since last week. That's not true. I restarted <laughs> I did restart my Animal Crossing Island, which we talked yeah, about. Yeah, give yourself some credit. Yeah, there. thank you. So I, I've been um power powering through some of the uh beginning stages of getting an island set up and getting
3: Terraforming, world building absolutely empires. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I got KK to play in my uh, my island like a couple nights ago, which mm. is a big step. Which Wait, means- who? Oh, KK. i surprised you haven't heard of him. Uh, he is the most famous musician in the world, according to Animal Crossing New Horizons. I see. Mm-hmm. And so if you can coax him into playing a concert every Saturday on your island, um, your island is on the way of being super hot shit.
1: Good questions. Mm. What species? He's a dog. What kind of music?
2: They are hits from all different types. Oh. So yeah.
1: So it's party, more like a party band.
2: Yeah, you get you have a he has a salsa number. He has kind of like a twee like early two thousands with whistling. He has a hip hop song. Mm. He has a, a heavy metal song. Mm. He has everything.
1: It sounds like a weasel to me, not a dog.
2: He's a very mellow dog.
1: Dogs would do Wait, like alcoholic does, blues music.
2: He does that too.
1: Does the dog have a hat? No. Oh, interesting.
2: Well, actually on one of the album covers, he does have a hat.
1: All right. What kind of breed?
2: Dalmatian-esque. He's black
1: and white. Mm. I'm highly skeptical of this KK individual.
2: I mean, you don't play (laughs) animal. You don't know the amount of hours and work and 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 creativity i have to put in to create the island the way i see it as being interesting and having little hidden spaces i'm starting fresh buddy
1: i've watched multiple hours of animal crossing so hopefully that counts for something
2: does capri play
1: no no no
2: you just watch you just watch.
1: It, it, You're just like let me crouching tell you about, over something. Let, let me tell you about this thing called Twitch TV, acquired by Amazon like five or six years ago, which is a multi-billion-dollar company. Yeah, not intentionally. I stumble into it when I'm watching a couple of the people that I I quite enjoy um, play games from time to time. They stumble into Animal Crossing. I was like, mm, I guess I better watch this so I can talk to Allison about this.
2: Are they wearing lingerie? No. I was just I. Talking.
1: Wait, the animals have laundry? right? I don't watch video games for that. I, I no, look at I, a, be- <laughs> ASMR videos for that, Allison. Pickles, Duh.
2: Pickles. No, you know how they go like Twitch babes that oh, of, sure, of like, sure, like sure. play in yeah. a hot tub? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Racking about my Pokeballs or whatever. <laughs> um, anyway, I watched a super amazing movie, film rather, the art form of which was outstanding and the colors and the costumes were outstanding and it was made uh in the year of magic or released in the year of magic i should say so um i'm talking about 1987's the barbarians featuring peter and david paul who are the two oiled up yoked out (sighs) barbarians
3: (laughs) yeah that, that movie
2: it's a lot of fun. Um, it was also directed by Diodato, so suck it, nerds! Yeah. And um,
3: wait, wait, who are you upset with?
2: <laughs> I don't care. Um,
3: Anyone that might speak ill of the barbarians? I
2: thought it was a great. Yeah,
3: I thought it was fun.
2: Yeah, it had surprising moments of violence, but also lots of lots of leggy babes and uh, man
3: boobs.
1: Yes,
2: lots of man boobs. Mm. And um
1: This is freaking morty now. <laughs> I'm Sorry.
2: I have one of my like secret desires is I've always wanted to be able to burp speak. And uh this is it's working. This is new for me, sorry. Uh it's got um eighty-seven percent like like appreciation on um uh, on the interwebs. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> but,
3: I mean like Richard Lynch is a really great villain. Yes. Uh he's very magnetic as a villain. Yes. We covered him in God told me to. Um he, I don't think he has enough to work with in this particular film,
2: but but, he does so well, but he
3: does great with what he's got. And again, Diodato to his credit, he's pulling 10 pounds of entertainment out of a five pound bag. When we were watching it, I did notice like, you know, not the, not like the, like the beautiful queen woman, but like the, like scrappy sidekick girl.
2: Yeah. um, Ismena. Ismena.
3: Virginia Bryant. Ava LaRue. Ava LaRue. I was like, why does this girl look so familiar to me? And so I looked her up and I was like, the reason she looks familiar to me is because when I was back East visiting my folks for Christmas, we watched about 10,000 hours of CSI in Miami. And she's a character on that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there she is. I was like, oh, I'm glad she's still working.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it was just good old, good old classic fun. I mean, it's, it's about, a, um, so it's tribal. And it's kind of a, what would you call this? Like the, the dragons and swords,
1: sword and sorcery, sword and sorcery. Thank you.
2: Um, so there's a, there's a traveling band of like circus folk who are given pass to go through different regions without harassment. But, uh, Kadar uh, played by Richard Lynch decides that he's going to put an end to that. And he's going to steal their super powerful Ruby and kidnaps, um, Kolchak and Gore (laughs) Um, and and basically tries to raise them independently of them being around each other so that eventually they will kill each other but they realize that they're brothers and um, they band together to uh, save their adopted mom and get the ruby back and all this stuff it's so much fun
3: the dialogue is so loose between the two brothers that I have this fantasy where they just improv the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's like, it's like everyone's talking about, like, Kadar and the magic ruby and Queen What's-Her-Face. And these guys are just like, just like, like, they stab a dragon and just, like, 100 gallons of guts just dump on them for, like, a full minute. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's,
2: it was, yeah, well, like, one of them just keeps going, like,
3: is broed out.
2: It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> I want
3: the dialogue to be all improv. Yeah, <laughs> I know it probably isn't.
2: I they, they, I don't know. I don't give them enough credit for being able to improv. Um, but yeah. they they killed it. I don't know what else they've been in,
3: but this this movie was. They did. Uh, they've done a couple of movies where they're twins and they're like babysitting children who are somehow being harassed by the mob. Mm. Excellent. Uh, the, and they basically play like, you know, like radical party dudes.
2: Oh, yeah. Twin sitters. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They have a cameo in The Flamingo Kid starring Matt Dillon and directed by our our boy from episode two or three, Gary Marshall. Gear oh, Bear. hey. We got a Gary Bear right. connection. Are
2: we looking at Think Big right here where it's like a trucking movie? But t-
1: <laughs> Double trouble.
2: Oh, man. So- I highly recommend it. I thought it was a ton of fun. Uh, we also... Well, I, I feel like we didn't watch a ton, but we, based on that vein, we um, did watch Flash Gordon. And I had never seen it. I had never seen it before. And I have to say that... Who, who plays Flash? Sam Jones. Is the worst part of that movie. Yeah. And all the other actors are so outstanding, so amazing. The sets are fun. But the costumes
3: are yeah. amazing. Yeah, the costumes are out of this world.
2: And like, I have you ever noticed how elaborate the costumes are, Brady?
1: No, because I was too busy staring at Max von Sydow's eyebrows.
2: I get it. I get it. I'm totally going to be him for Halloween, by the way. But, <laughs> I can see that actually. Uh, That's a good choice. <laughs> but the, if you really, really are paying attention to the costuming, it is all, it's beads. It's all, it, to have that reflective quality. Oh, yeah. It's all that. hand beaded, mm-hmm. which is, I, I I have to imagine took forever, forever, and also it's an
3: army of people yes, forever,
2: and also ate up so much of the budget for the film, which which I did confirm in uh, like Wikipedia or something that like an enormous part of the budget went towards making these costumes, which to me seems strange because usually costumes are kind of like. An afterthought, if everything else has the money that it needs,
1: they did it because they needed to flash shiny objects in front of Freddie Mercury to get Queen involved. Like, <sighs> oh,
2: look at these pretty
1: objects! She's like, I'm in. I don't know why I'm in. You just buttons. hand
2: him a single cat, he would have done that shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no shit.
2: Yeah, he loved cats. Okay. Yeah, so um, had a blast with that. I thought it was really fun, but I was really enamored in every scene. Where there was a costume change where it's like these beautifully designed costumes that are super elaborate and shiny and sparkly. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So
2: I loved it. Anyway, Josh.
3: Yeah, to, to build on that, um, yeah, actually, Flash Gordon was the only movie that I was going to really talk about. Um, the whole production behind that thing, it's a Dino De Laurentiis film. It was designed to respond to the trend in Star Wars, this, the trend that Star Wars created. Um, originally, George Lucas approached Dino De Laurentiis to do Flash Gordon uh, for his space epic that he wanted to do, but Dino wasn't interested in handing the property to Lucas at the time. So of course, after the fact after Star Wars is a big thing and like all these like space movies are a big thing, he has to respond. So they fire up Flash Gordon and get this thing going. this movie is obviously very different in tone and in effect than uh, than Star Wars. What I like about, flash gordon is that um it's surprisingly horny <laughs> and that <laughs> everyone's using like magic rays and like secret potions to like you know get with each other mm-hmm. and uh ming's daughter aura is or ura is um she's basically just just sleeping her way through the entire kingdom getting everything she wants because she's just so bad she's just super bad <laughs> she's
2: got a snapper
3: I guess everyone's
2: bowing down. <laughs>
3: um, I love that movie. Uh, mostly for sentimental reasons. I, I definitely re- agree that Sam Jones is pretty weak. Uh, but, uh, Max von Sydow, Brian Blessed, Timothy Dalton and, uh, Topal and all the, all the supporting cast. They're all amazing. Um, I love the sets. I love the fact that they basically stayed faithful to the, like, radio era comic book in terms Mm -hmm. of like the design of like the spaceships and all that stuff. Very retro. Yeah. It was super retro. And um, I don't think that people really appreciated the retro nature at the time. I felt like the um, sort of machine age aesthetic of star Wars was more in vogue than Mm. like going old school art deco. Um, But anyway, I love flash Gordon soundtrack by queen would definitely uh, made me productive. On those long nights in uh, art school, I, I listened to the <laughs> awesome. this Flash Gordon soundtrack quite a bit. Other than that, uh, it's been kind of a recovery week for me. I My scooter, as I was coming home from the gym, blew up and I had to push it two miles. And that hurt my back because it's like two miles uphill that mm-hmm, I had to push the thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so I've been getting over that. Just remember in the future, as one of my gym coaches taught me in terms of bracing your core so you're not fucking up your back. Mm -hmm. Just imagine a bunch of tiny gremlins are trying to punch you in the stomach.
3: Okay. just
1: Tension breathing, Josh. It wasn't... People are like, hey, if you brace your core, you know, act like you're taking a poop, all these
3: different things. It never worked but until until somebody said... Gremlins. Yeah. The only other thing I'll mention is I have a correction from last week. I erroneously... Said that there are like five stocked by My Doctor movies. I think there's six now, oh, uh, because there's now Stock by My Doctor colon Sleepwalker's Nightmare.
2: Oh my god, where
3: he preys upon some girl that's sleepwalking or whatever. Oh
2: my god, <laughs>
3: and it's this is all of them are Eric Roberts. Yes. All of them are Eric Roberts.
1: <laughs> so there's gotta be a so what you're suggesting is there's a Stock by My Doctor cinematic universe. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Are there offshoots of Stock by My Doctor? Where he has a
3: cameo? Oh man!
2: Oh my god! Could well, you, you imagine that on fucking Grey's Anatomy or something mm. like
3: that? Well, here's the thing: is the the guy who writes and direct these movies for Lifetime Channel? He's done like 50 movies, so it wouldn't surprise me if if through some contractual thing, Eric Roberts like walks in, you know, on a set, and all of a sudden he's a part of like Whale and Utani, mm-hmm. and therefore Die Hard, yeah, and yeah, therefore yeah. Terminator. Right, right. right. What,
2: what is what is going on with older women? you know where like this is the content that they're needing are like cuz it's always always like hyper dramatic romances or hyper hyper dramatic like uh, psychological stalker thrillers
3: i mean the stakes are high
2: but these are these i'm i'm saying like these are like probably ladies that are in their like 60s sitting down with their chardonnay with ice cubes and and watching these eric roberts movies and just going like oh get a bitch you know like mm. um
1: might be a little bit younger than that, but I think that the answer is like maybe elder Gen Xers are getting there where the women who are drinking the Chardonnay maybe have had brothers or significant others that were in Star, into Star Wars. They're like, mm-hmm, this is my This is my, cinematic this is my shit. Yeah, I I mean, got, I if did there that, were VHS box sets back then. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I
2: did that with uh, My Favorite Murder. Like, I definitely fell into My Favorite Murder, mm-hmm. like many women did because- Uh, We just wanted the nitty gritty details.
1: Are you suggesting that I'm suggesting that like women by my doctor?
2: Well, I'm suggesting that women seem to be preoccupied (laughs) with murder. I think, I think because we are not as violent outwardly, we have to internalize it and, and like see it out, act it out Mm -hmm. to release our anger.
1: To release your anger, I don't know I'm just trying release to release it release it by poisoning people and doing other devious shit that's that's like i look i'm not i'm, I'm not right, I'm not, writing I'm not all
2: violent. these bad checks
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't really have anything to to add to that yeah i, I, don't know. I feel i mean like as far as like why is why is murder popular um,
2: <laughs> with women
3: with with women specifically uh I think No man, you know, if you hit me like the on the right day, I would have like this whole thesis lined up. Here, this is
2: here. Okay, so here's my theory. I think that buckle up. Yep, (laughs) sit down, bitches, and put on your strap belt. I think that women kind of gaggle in these like uh, um these like knitting circles, like talking about talking about like the tribe business or like the town business. So I think that when there are like high Vi- you know high violence or like weird mysterious things going on in the neighborhood the ladies are getting together and they're like planning out step by step what has happened and they're looking for red flags because ah. we, cause we are the air raid siren of the neighborhood got it so
1: the camouflage of the neighborhood
2: we are the tom hanks of the neighborhood
1: tom hanks and the Burbs. What yes okay yeah. all right
2: we are the Brewster of the neighborhood I fucking derailed us so hard. So just like, let's <laughs> no, no you no, you didn't derail.
3: You didn't derail at all. I, I'm I'm trying to spin this thing together because, it's like, I, so, I definitely why? have like a lot of concrete ideas on what we're talking about here, about <clears throat> specifically why, because you know I know a lot of like horror fans, yeah, but I know women that are like really into horror,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and like the whole like final girl trope and all that stuff, and I think it has to do with. I think it has to do with, like, catharsis and power and feeling power through processing, surviving something that's, like, unsurvivable. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something connected to...
2: Transference.
3: Yeah, it's connected to, like, the the common psychic membrane of female experiences that horror movies and true crime are are speaking to
2: Mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. Definitely do like the survivor stories.
1: And women are just devious as shit and they just hide in the
3: shadows or in plain sight. That's also that. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly in plain sight.
2: Can, (laughs) Can confirm.
3: On that note, how are you doing, Brady?
1: I'm okay. I watched more movies this week than I did last week, which is a good sign that I'm stabilizing to some sort of healthy, uh, mental health place. Um, I'll start by talking about, James Bond's second film from Russia with Love from 1963. Oh, yeah. oh my um, God. Robert Shaw. Yeah, so as our resident uh, Bond bro. <laughs> bon, sure. No, sorry. Bond yeah. boy. Something. man? You're, you're my little Bond boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now wait a minute. <laughs> Agent Twink. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch!
3: Um, where does this rank? Double O fabulous. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, it depends on your notion of Bond films. So I have like there's the the Bond movies. They're just objectively good. From Russia with Love is one of them. Mm. I would say of like the objectively good Bond films. Yeah, it's probably like top five for sure. Probably wow. top three. If you want to say Bond, top three. Bond being Bond, as in like all of the tropes turned up, then it's probably a lot lower on the list. So for me, one of the, like, I have a um, dysfunction in my brain about Bond films where, for example, like Casino Royale Mm -hmm. with, you know, Daniel Craig was excellent. Again, probably top three. Mm -hmm. Um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, maybe not as strong, but also pretty good. I love that one. Yeah, but it's also good Mm -hmm. Uh, the most bond being bond movie for me is you only live twice because you've got diabolical villains Mm -hmm. ridiculous stakes Mm -hmm. there's a like a final battle inside a volcano while while rockets Mm -hmm. are launching Mm -hmm. uh dr evil with his white cat right like all of the bond shit like special cars like women just throwing themselves at them Mm -hmm. so for me you Only Live Twice is like the most Bond movie. However, it's not as good as some of the other Bond movies. So mm. like Thunderball, for example, is very close to uh, You Only Live Twice in that regard. Okay. So uh, as far as how I rank it, if you're looking at the objectively good ones, I think it's pretty good. Mm. Damn. But I don't think I, it's the most Bond of the films.
1: I want to rewatch this movie through the lens or riding the surfer wave mm-hmm. of your your frothy excitement. Yeah. I did not like this as much as you did. Okay. It might've been just where I'm at right now. just in, in life, I've been a little distracted. It's It's actually been kind of hard to watch movies. I get, I kind of daydream or my mind uh, wanders. And so I do feel like with this movie, I was like, wait, what's happening. Mm -hmm. And that was more a sign of my mental temperament. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I can tell you that uh, Daniela
3: Bianchi is fucking hot as shit. She's hot as shit. Yeah. And uh, Robert Shaw, I thought, as the villain, was really great as Red Grant. Um, I never really saw him coming. And, like, the whole intro sequence where the fake Bond is killed. Yeah. I thought that was wonderful. It was fun.
2: <sighs> Robert Shaw is terrifying.
3: Especially in this. Always
2: terrifying. As a dyed
1: blonde hair. Um. So part of the reason why we watched it is I'm curious about these 4K transfers, right? And, like, with 4K... Um, with our TV, it just looks fucking crazy. Um, And so I was like, I wonder what a Bond movie from the 60s looks like with our TV. And it was insane to see what looked like contemporary quality, mm-hmm. right? And so to see Bond in these like really f- dodgy like stages uh-huh. <clears throat> and the camera's like really far away, I noticed that I commented to Capri like how almost all the shots are like their whole body all the way down to their ankles. They're like tiny little miniatures in a play. Whereas like, you know, Casino Royale, it's like gritty and you're like seeing every pore of Daniel Craig's face, you know, all the grit and grime. So there's that progression over time. Mm -hmm. And so it just felt like this weird stage play where it was like they were figuring out the pieces and parts and it just felt like they hadn't gotten there for me. Right. like and that that was most that was most typified by the ending boat scene where it was like really janky. the stunts were like repetitive, kind of, yeah, yeah, uh, it was yeah. very anticlimactic ending, oh, and there uh, the helicopter scene where it just kept swooping over him and it was like there's no stakes, yeah. it didn't feel dangerous at all right
3: and that and that's by bringing this up, like you have to recognize that um before like goldfinger well I guess goldfinger came afterwards, but they were basically figuring out how to make action movies like this. Right. Like as they went. So like you, when you watch like old movies, like in the fifties about like World War II, they're very static. And like Mm -hmm. the, a lot of the drama has to come from like the, what's in the script, the personal interactions. And there'll be some very quick and usually not very um, like detail oriented action scene. They were figuring out how to shoot action scenes with all the James Bond films. Yeah, I kept that in
1: mind too. Yeah. I was trying to be gracious about it. I, I mean, I recommend it because uh, Daniela Bianchi's hot.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Just Thanks make sure me.
1: you make sure you mention that one more time. <laughs> uh, well, I would, but instead, I'll just talk about another hot blonde, which Daniel is Craig, Bridget, <laughs> Bridget, Bridget, which is Bridget Lahai, Lahai, la- 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 uh, which is she's in the female executioner, or, or in French, la exa truce, la from 1986. So this is uh, a movie that was just recently reissued by Severn Films. Beautiful transfer. Um, you know, they've been doing the Lord's work on taking kind of these Euro sleeves movies and, like, giving them a little bit more of a critical eye. Mm-hmm. Speaking of of uh, this transference and, you know, this catharsis of women, I mean, uh, Kirla Janice House of Psychotic Women, that yeah. book. Yeah. She did a box set of movies that were from that book. It's kind of like... These kind of revenge fantasy things that, you know, were considered pretty low grade, Z grade, maybe not Z grade, but very low grade movies that are now getting this like, quote unquote, serious treatment from a, a, a highly respected boutique Blu-ray uh, company. Um, and so Bridget was used to be a adult actress doing uh, hardcore and the director, Michelle Caputo, also did hardcore. But this is one of their more, quote unquote, mainstream movies. So, mm. There's a couple of like goofy softcore scenes and it's it's funny because Bridget's trying to dial it down from <laughs> hardcore and her version of softcore is just like, I don't know how to fake like I'm having sex. So she just like arches her neck and puts her head up like a giraffe, like a baby giraffe over and over again, just like it's being fed grass by its mama mama giraffe oh she's it's it's awkward. Um but it's you it's had me mama. At mama
0: giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it looks like I just punched the two of you right between the eyes right now.
2: I, I'm imagining, I mean, she's, she's got a very innocent look to her. And yeah. so I'm imagining her just going like, Gah! but yeah, like, yeah. I'm also thinking about the movie we're going to talk about tonight.
0: Mm.
1: And, uh, the Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Outstanding sex scene that, mm-hmm, that had. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was, um, pairing the two in my mind.
1: Mm. Your brain is polluted. Yes. Just got to scrub that dirt out. I yeah. with Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. <sighs> um, no, this, this movie is a lot of fun. I, I would say that the soundtrack in particular is of note. Uh, I couldn't find the soundtrack. I don't think it's been released. I didn't see any rips on YouTube of it. Uh, but it's one of those movies that it's 90 minutes long, and there's a new song, like, every three to four minutes that's, like, hmm. cool jazz funk, uh, okay. big band, <laughs> you know, like, like meditative uh, modal jazz, uh, funk, you know, it... Really solid. Like the fact that this is like kind of a throwaway movie, and it, the soundtracks are better. You know, just like French and Italian film soundtracks from the sixties mm-hmm. and seventies, yeah. oh, yeah. actually eighties uh, were way better. There's a lot of really great disco. But yeah, her the, the kind of the thing that kind of propels that propels this movie forward is her kid sister is kidnapped by these human trafficking pornographers um, that are going to ship her off to Thailand, and things escalate and. She goes from like falls in love. There are many suitors, Josh. Oh, I don't know if there's love, but okay,
2: (laughs) (laughs) they made love,
1: they tried to project maybe some sentimental values. I see, but uh, the deep meaning of love, I don't know if it came across. Got it. I don't know intent versus right, we'll we'll never know. maybe on the commentary. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When, uh, yeah, the Kirlis-Denise like critical thesis. (laughs) There's a whole Bridget has a whole development arc on, uh, not wanting to own a gun and her partner owns a gun. And she's like, Oh, you're this racist scum who just like fires and, uh, uh, doesn't have any regard towards people. Like you're, you're an idiot. Um, I think she might call him mentally challenged or, something more aggressive yes and dragged across country yeah um (laughs) and she eventually ends up sleeping with him and then you know has no other option but to use a gun down the road so it's a little bit of a revenge fantasy so yeah it's got a mixture of like exploitation a little bit of softcore, a little bit like trying to do something a little bit more serious they do a lot of fucking stunts with this tiny like renault or something you know just Hell yeah! yeah just I, like I love it. when
3: movies just beat the shit out of like economy grade European yes. movies. I'm here <laughs> Dude, for it. There's so I much drifting.
1: It. I've never seen a Renault drift that much. Uh yeah, Solid Six. This is a this is a Solid Six movie. Fantastic. Um, cool. Well, that's me. Um, before we get into our feature, just as a reminder, send us some submissions for our lists. We have a child throwing list at solid 6net slash child throwing. Um, and we have a man on fire list, uh, salt sick.net slash man on fire. We actually have three additions to this. We do. Yeah. What are the three?
2: Uh, well, Brady, let me pull up my lists here. So we added from Russia with love. Mm -hmm. Um, we also, and I need to apologize to, um, Vaughn because I saw a comment on here from a fucking year ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh no. Called mad dog Morgan. Yep. It's been added to the list. Vaughn. I apologize. And um, so
1: with that one, that's the Grant Page uh, of stunt rock fame. He jumps off a cliff on fire. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, amazing.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And then Australian
1: legendary stunt man. Mm-hmm. So
2: good. And then what was the third one, Brady?
1: Third, uh, female executioner, which I just talked about. Yes.
2: Female uh, executioner.
1: So she is making a alcoholic punch bowl for her souffle that she's listening to the radio about. <laughs> and a couple of <laughs> intruders sneak into her home. And she beats the shit out of one of them, and the second one's advancing on her. And she throws the alcoholic punch bowl at him and then lights him on fire. Whoa! And he has to jump in the, Hell yeah. jump in the creek because she lives in a, a farm. A holler?
3: <laughs> is this movie set in West Virginia?
1: <laughs> I don't know rural okay. French right. France that well, so I, I don't know if they have hollers there. Uh, and then, yeah, from, from Russia with Love is that both. Le Holler. Le Holler. <laughs> and then yeah the front from Russia with love is the boat scene where James Bond puts a bunch of barrels of gas into the ocean and then shoots it remember
3: with a flare gun yes
2: oh yeah we just yes we did yeah, watch he's, that he's wearing and was,
3: like a little captain's hat mm-hmm.
2: yes it was uh, outstandingly violent yes it was great
1: a lot of fun yeah and Daniela Bianchi is just standing there I'm sorry I couldn't quite go there I couldn't quite say she's oh, just fucking hot on the boat <laughs>
2: Ooh, Bond. You've uh, done such a good job with shooting the gas barrels.
1: Oh, man. All right. Welcome back. Before his death, former President Lyndon B. Johnson gave a three-hour filmed interview to a well-known television commentator. On May 2nd, 1970, when this interview was shown on a national television network, it included a message that certain material had been deleted
0: at President Johnson's insistence. It has been revealed that in the censored
1: section, Johnson had expressed misgivings about the finding that Lee Harvey Oswald had acted alone, and that, in fact, he suspected that a conspiracy had been involved in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So that was the blurring of fact and fiction in the intro of Execution Action, a movie from 1973 starring Burt Lancaster, attempting to deal directly with the emergent details of the JFK assassination. The movie, adapted from a 1966 book, had over a dozen previous books to draw upon from reporters, independent researchers, and the progenitors of the internet sleuth. It took me two years to find Sirhan, three to find Oswald. The King job alone cost us over $22 million. And on the other side of the spectrum, this is the absurdity of using JFK and the surrounding conspiracies as a throwaway line stated by Red Skull in the 1990 feature starring Captain America, directed by Albert Pune. Winter Kills attempts to split the difference, an askew satire but also a potentially empathetic one, framed on the idea that the Kennedy brothers were mere pawns in their father, Joseph Kennedy's never-ending quest for power. Miles? Miles? Winter Kills the search for a truth that could shake everything you ever believed in Mm -hmm. what nicholas keegan will discover is the most dangerous shattering revelation of our time the keegans are an american dynasty what am i going
2: to do with these girls mr secretary first they're hot then they're cold hello pa you all know my son nicholas hi nick
1: they own ships oil and swank New York restaurants. We don't allow ladies in trousers in the dining room. <laughs> you what?
0: Oh, is no problem. Follow me along the sidewalk. Is he didn't think I tipped him enough? Imagine that. We
1: will have to ask you to leave. My name is Nicholas Keegan. My father owns this place. Oh, I'm awfully sorry, sir. I... They oh, even I... own presidents. You think you got those votes on your good looks? I bought them and I paid for them. When I needed cash, I got it. Now, uh, you remember your debts.
0: Damn it! why do you think I got to this job? Review the fleet.
1: Their computers hold information. Ooh, computers. I'm excited to talk about computers. So yeah, Winter Kills follows Nick Keegan, who this movie starts out. He's on an oil tanker, and uh, a helicopter lands carrying a a family associate and a heavily bandaged man named Arthur Fletcher. Carried into sick bay, Fletcher tells an orderly that in 1960 he and another gunman were hired by a man named Casper Jr. to assassinate President Keegan, JFK. stand-in, with Arnold set up as a patsy, Lee Harvey Was- Oswald. stand-in. Fletcher claims to have stashed the rifle used in the assassination in room 903 of the Angleston building in Philadelphia. Before Nick can question him any further, Fletcher dies of his injuries. Nick, accompanied by his friend Miles Gardner and police captain Heller, travels to Philadelphia uncovering the rifle from its hiding place. As the three are leaving, a young woman on a bicycle passes by, and seconds later, an unseen sniper shoots and kills Nick's companions. And from there, all hell breaks loose. Oh my god. So I'd heard about this movie um I think when it came out on Blu-ray a few years ago and the cover is really awesome. I think the poster is a lot of fun. Uh, you need to look it up. It's got I think like like oil I would describe as like oil paintings, like little uh, montages or little vignettes around mm-hmm. the poster. Um, and uh Jeff Bridges is uh on the cover. I think shirt yeah, he's he's shirtless. Uh, holding Dorothy Malone, his girlfriend, who we'll be talking about. There's an American flag being torn, kind of with John Huston, the director of Chinatown fame. And he's also an actor, kind of pointing. Um, and yeah, just this thing is just like the poster looked so absurd. And so I, I looked up, I looked this up, and, uh, you know, a lot of people were talking about this being a satire. And actually, this was a big anchor for the double feature with Little Murders. And as the movie was going along, I was like waiting for the satire to
3: kick in. Yeah. Okay. I'm um, glad you I'm glad you're talking about this straight out of the yeah, gate. Because yeah. this movie was described as a comedy. And I can see the satire stuff, but it's like I'm I'm waiting for the like the the goofballs. Yeah, I'm waiting for it to exceed the point of, you know, uh credibility. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's that's just
2: I mean, there's I mean, the only scene that I can remember that I thought was comical was um when they go to that Wig shop and find the rifle, and then the the stupid officer who is essentially like got the IQ of a cricket um, dismantles the steam heater and is steaming all of the wigs, and the wig maker is running around like mad. That's the only scene where I was like, "Oh, well, that's that's." I, mean, like, I thought that's the, funny.
3: The, the topless maid assassin was kind of funny too. Oh yeah, where the for yeah, the, like he like he just like a random grab and like now there's boobies. Like I thought that was yeah kind of funny.
2: I did I Josh like we we watched the movie and I was like up doing something and Josh was like, "Oh, apparently it's supposed to be a comedy." And I was like, "What? Are you serious? I didn't I'm not a stupid viewer. I didn't catch it at all.
3: Or has like our sensibilities changed so much from the time that this thing came out?
2: I don't know. Was it perceived as a comedy back then?
1: Uh, I think that he, William Richard, the director and writer of this, he's trying to steer clear of the kind of self seriousness of the novel Winter Kills from 1974 by Richard Condon. He also, Richard Condon wrote the Manchurian Candidate that the Mm. movie Mm -hmm. Manchurian Candidate was based off. So think about like the, the intense political commentary with that. I have a hunch that Richard based on his effusive comments, um, that were pulled from the DVD that I think came out in 04 or 06 or something like that, that were on this Mm Blu-ray. He was very conscientious about his, recalled his intention of wanting to try to like punch it up basically. Yeah. And if you listen to him, and I think the two of you can attest to this. He's kind of a wacky dude. Yeah. He's he's got like manic, Yeah. uh, got like a lot of fun, manic energy that in person would probably be a lot, but I can see like. He'd be great at parties. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Or as a director on a set that went bankrupt, which was, we'll but yeah, I think that the funny aspects of it, I wonder how much of that is uh, the director saying it's supposed to be funny and how much of that is actually John Houston being the anchor and comedic God. aspect of this, that whenever he came back in, the movie became funny and then he would go away. And then it felt like just a retelling of JFK. And I don't know if the retelling of JFK was ahead of its time. And we just look back on it as three people who've, Listen to a lot of JFK shit. Right. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's, that, that is what's happened. Or, like, that's a pretty common belief. Or if it was a common belief in 1976 when this was originally starting to be filmed, but he was trying to kind of do this. The way I described is like, Jeff Bridges is on a conveyor belt where he's just, like, walking through, like, he's just being ushered through the different connective nodes of this right. story. And it's just, like, trying to highlight the absurdity of it where like it becomes funnier in retrospect.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And like the, as far you made the escalator comment. It's like, yeah, it's like the the star of this movie is John Houston. <laughs> like he rolls what? in and he is chewing the scenery into like rich Corinthian leather. Like <laughs> he is chewing the shit out of every scene that he's in. And and God bless him cuz like he's like as the sort of American Caesar Industrialist, capitalists, like rigor of systems. Uh, He's fantastic. Uh, And he's also very naughty, uh, which is fun uh, as a viewer. Uh, But yeah, every time John Houston shows up in his red Speedo or with his (laughs) whorish nurses on his side, like he's just a lot to deal with. And meanwhile, uh, Jeff Bridges is basically just aghast and confused and flummoxed and just mouth agape at like everything that's happening all around mm-hmm. him.
2: I always am astonished by how young Jeff Bridges looks as a young man. Like he he looks like a chubby-cheeked 16-year-old mm-hmm. playing these roles and yeah. he has such an innocence about him and a naivety about him that I... Uh, I... Like in... um. What's the one we watched where he's like the sidekick that gets Thunderbolt the, and Lightfoot? Thunderbolt and Lightfoot is yeah. like he is the perfect golden retriever sidekick in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and same for this as Nick Keegan, where he's so pure of heart, so to speak, that the fact
3: that he's he, a star man.
2: Yes. The fact that he nice. is even related to uh, Pa Keegan, who is an absolute sociopath yeah. in the best way. Is is extraordinarily troubling to him, and he's got to find a way to connect with his father because he's so desperate to figure out what happened with his brother. And and you can tell he's he's a very compassionate young man, but at the same time he has this uh, this crown, this like American royalty crown placed upon him that he's also got to fill into.
1: Yeah, very well said. I think uh, I couldn't have said it better in in regards to like kind of the the cherubic angel, innocent like uh, teenager aspect of him. And I think he's carried it forward. I mean, if you listen to him in interviews or, like, I watched his uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame, like, the the star, his commemorative star being put in and just, like, listening to him talk, I feel like he's maintained that sincere openness that in this movie is kind of uh, milked to be in ignorance mm-hmm. uh, or mm-hmm. being, like, two steps behind. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, I just think that Jeff Bridges is this open person who's just open to anything. And he talks about, like... A lot of his career up to that point was a lot of first-time directors. Um, We talked about Tron that came out a little a few Mm -hmm. years after this, but he said that um, in the the mid 2000s, yeah, yeah, like that he's he's benefited greatly from working with first-time directors, and the times that he worked with first-time directors were often after he did the last picture show, which I think was like his second movie, Mm -hmm. and so he took a chance or he saw something in these uh, people who didn't know how to fucking use a camera um like like uh Richard didn't. Um yeah, I think it serves it serves him well in this movie.
2: Yeah.
3: Well that's
1: like your opinion, man.
2: He well he's he's got such a it exudes this purity of him where he can't even he can't even have the imagination to see more clear clues in front of him that um the villain is closer, much closer than he would ever think it would be.
3: And like the parade of characters that comes through in this thing, again, again on the escalator that you mentioned there, Brady. It's like everyone is perfectly willing to just give up the the beans on their involvement <laughs> in a political assassination. Like they have no problems like well, it's like basically a, a letter from Pa Keegan gets you everything. It's like, yeah. oh, we've we've arranged an appointment. And yeah. he walks into this, like, gangster's lair in Cleveland uh, with, like, all of these, like, cartoonish gangsters. And the guy, for a sum of whatever the money is, just tells him the, everything he wants to know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And there's numerous instances where he just talks to a guy. It's like, hey, you fascist tank commander out in the <laughs> middle of Oklahoma or whatever uh, with a kick-ass Amish beard. Uh, tell me what's your angle on this? It's like I didn't want to kill him because he was giving me those tax breaks. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody is just offering up their story, and so he is just on for the the ride, never really thinking about two steps ahead. Although he is obviously a little bit concerned about the people trying to kill him. Yeah, um, yeah. But he's not. Yeah, again, he's not. He's not interested in the forest for the trees.
2: Yeah, th- and there's a surrealist quality to some of these some of these situations that he finds himself yeah. in. Uh, so there's um i wasn't always sure if the movie was dabbling in magical realism mm. Um, like if there were
3: when John Houston splits an American flag in half on his way. <laughs> <off> his <laughs> well,
2: I mean, like, I mean, like he the moment when he he's in the very beginning of the movie when he's distracted by the woman on the the red woman on the bicycle. Yeah, and then he turns around and everyone in the car's been killed. Yeah, and I I I couldn't tell if maybe he was suffering from some sort of PTSD and that was going to be like a flashback that he oh, was having yep. or a fear he was having. So I, there were, there were many moments in the movie where I, I wasn't always sure how steeped in reality it was. And then I was always shocked when it was. Yeah. So yeah, like the, the maid, the maid's assassination attempt.
1: Yeah. Really well said. I deconstructing the psychology of uh, Bill Richard, I get the sense that there was a bit of like a shock and stunned uh, reckoning of what happened with JFK that the surreal aspect is probably like the the fugue state that a lot of people were in still from the trauma of going through that experience right like I I was looking into um various people's accounts of the time and like one person was talking about how they remember like, I think it was New York City like people were running red lights the day that JFK was assassinated because they were just so in shock. Like they weren't, they were spacing out and like, it was a noticeable like mm-hmm. yeah, mass. Yeah. Just like s- paralysis. Yeah. That happened. So I wonder if this is a residual aspect of that, even though it was what, 16 or 17 years later where you have this book that came out a few years, uh, like in 75 or 76, you then have this movie that it's just kind of filtered through these different iterations of Processing it, that it was like this mixture of surrealism, but also, also like figuring out this really complex story that is probably true. I, I wouldn't, would you say that like any, anything that any of the connective characters in this are false to you? Like, it, does it feel like in relation to the, what really happened, like, I was mean, was an embellishment?
2: I don't know. The, what, I mean, what? it's a conspiracy theory because it's, because we don't know what really happened. The, you know, we, there's so many there's so many conflicting right. um accounts of what happened and where people heard the gunshot from and, and and what angle it was from and what was caught on camera. And also, you know, Josh, you had mentioned this like impossible shot done by Lee Harvey Oswald, who was kind of a huge fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. And so it's um I think that the characters in the film with who they represent are caricatures.
3: We don't know the truth. We don't know what really happened. We have ideas about what happened. We have people who have researched these um, like highly improbable connections, but we don't know if like, did the CIA do it? Did the mob do it? Did Cubans do it? Like we don't actually know the truth. So instead of what we have are all of these disparate bodies that may have a relationship with each other or maybe not. And someone has to invent a dreamlike narrative that somehow connects all of the different possibly disconnected narratives into one yeah. object. Yeah. So we don't know what happened. We do know that there are these weird connections between different groups. As far as like who seemed out of place there, um, Elizabeth Taylor. I don't hmm. think that I don't think that Marilyn Monroe ordered JFK's assassination. Mm-hmm. But you never know. Yeah.
2: Well, they know because they had talked about uh, they they had talked about that maybe the studio system like Paramount maybe had killed him because he cost them their leading lady. Mm. So Elizabeth Taylor wasn't Marilyn Monroe.
1: Elizabeth Taylor was his pimp. Yeah. And he was sleeping with people, and Marilyn Monroe got so distraught. Yes. That she killed herself. Therefore, the studios, the studios lost out on a yeah. fuck ton of money.
2: Yeah. And so the studios went after him. Yeah. She's his pimp, or is she the madam of other women?
1: I thought it was, oh, one or the other. This particular Elizabeth Taylor narrative highlights some of the ambiguity that this movie is dealing with whether it's intentional or not.
2: I will say also that I tend to get lost quickly with films that have many major characters in very small moments. Mm. Uh, we're trying we're trying to connect the puzzle pieces. So like murder mystery movies, I'm always just kind of like, uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of those moments where I'm like, you get, you get a, a, a six minute scene with a major character who is one in 15 names And, um, and so I do think that it gets a little murky really quickly and maybe it's supposed to,
1: well, we're pointing out the, the most confusing, I think the most confusing scene, because up to that point, each of the each of the characters that that Jeff Bridges is asked to go talk to after reporting back to his dad and saying, Hey dad, I found this thing. And the dad's like, Oh, well, now that you mentioned that, actually I can put you in touch with this other person. So like his dad's the one that actually is almost like this godlike figure who already has all the connections figured out, or maybe had placed all the connections together is what's uh, implied. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's well paced out up to that point, but that particular Elizabeth Taylor section is very
3: scattered. Yeah, mm-hmm. and quick. And if you're not paying attention, then you're going to miss it.
1: Yeah, I had to rewind it. And yeah, I asked Capri, yeah. I was like, what just happened? So
3: that's I think that's
2: son of a
1: bitch. I don't know if that's a, a flaw of the movie or, like you said, uh, an intentional aspect. And I think that's probably the allure of this movie. I don't know if this is a cult movie yet or not, but it's, I can see this having cult status because this movie has enough of those crossroads that would be divisive enough to be like, mm, stinky poo poo. Um, or being like, oh yeah, like this guy was intentionally trying to do this. Uh, what a genius, like subversive subtextual moment that he's trying to like, I don't know.
2: know. Based on, based on the chaos of the production, I doubt he had time to imbue it with any kind of like special alternative. Yeah. I I
3: think he was just swinging for the fences every scene. Like he was just trying to get everything he could in the can and like, whether there was nuance or whatever was more or less left to like the, the writing of Richard Condon.
2: I, I have to say that it sounds like William Reichert is probably one of the most charismatic <laughs> people you've probably ever met because for someone who's never directed anything before and to get all these major names to mm-hmm. sign on just on him describing the yeah. the, the script alone right. is um, he's probably extremely magnetic and always a step ahead with empty pockets kind of a thing.
3: Yeah. yeah, So for him to kind of woo uh, John Houston and Elizabeth Taylor and have Elizabeth Taylor say, oh, John, we have to do it. It sounds so delicious. Yeah. Like that's you've really got something there. Like the yeah. k- charisma on fleek. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so let's dive into the production. Uh, this was produced by two gentlemen, Robert Sterling and Leonard Goldberg or their production company, Sterling and Goldberg. Uh, they were Famous or made a shit ton of money from the Emmanuel softcore movies. Nice. Um, Tight. And uh, behind the scenes, they were drug dealers. Uh, At least what is on the record is marijuana. And so one of them, Goldberg, was murdered by the mafia. Uh, He was handcuffed to a bed and shot in the head after failing to pay his debts. And then Sterling was sentenced to 40 years in prison for smuggling weed. Um, But he got out sooner than that, right?
2: He served 14, which is still a very long long time.
1: So obviously when it comes to leadership, if you have leadership at the top that's chaotic, you're going to have that trickle down to the employees. And in this case, uh, how that manifested itself is the crew wasn't getting paid. Um, well, they were a bit like in bundles of cash, right? Well, For they, evan- time. they eventually, so they weren't getting paid. The production shut, shut down. They spun back up. And then that's when they were starting to get paid with cash. And they, like, they were telling crazy stories about like walking into a room and a woman in like a trench coat with like hardly anything on underneath, like opens a trench coat and is like literally pulling bills out that were $5 bills, $10 bills, $50 bills, just like not. Not uh, uniform it's bills, so like a scene from the movie, basically. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. uh-huh. exactly. The crew's like, "Oh, okay." Meanwhile, like the union leaders were like, "Yo, dog, our crew's not getting paid, and you have like 400 creditors that need their money, and your bills are past due. Whether it's like the lighting, or uh, they said on the commentary, like things as basic as like the gasoline to fuel the generators, but something as big as like." They were shooting on five lots mm-hmm. or, or five uh, sound stages at MGM. So, these producers, according to the cast and crew today, were intentionally trying to see how far they could go with how high stakes and prestige this movie was and see if they could get away with
0: mm. uh,
1: not paying people back. Or seeing how far they could stretch it. which make it till you make it. Which sounds like a fucking drug dealer yeah, mentality.
2: Yeah, I mean. Or a
1: venture capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that stings. Yeah, I,
2: <laughs> I, um, I mean, it obviously didn't last long. I mean, they, they were talking about being in a shoot where they're six stories up. And all of a sudden the lights turn off and someone opens up the stage doors. And they're like, this is fucking done. We're fucking done filming this. Yeah, the this. union get bosses the fuck coming. out. Yeah. yeah. And like, like, there was no power to the studio anymore. So they, like, there's no elevators to get down off these six, you know, six fl- floors. Mm-hmm. So sort they're of like taking these rickety ass ladders all the way down. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, this, uh, I mean, I've read about some disastrous productions, but yeah. this is like, this is insane.
3: Up there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So they ran out of money mm-hmm. and then they had to make a movie. Mm-hmm. To get financing from a German company, right? You- and, I,
1: and I think this movie, uh, the the movie that Josh is uh, talking about, is the American Success Company, which I think was it came out right after uh, Winter Kills, but it was filmed and completed before Winter Kills. Um, no, it actually was released. Before-
2: I think it was released before. Yeah, yeah. And
1: yeah. I, I think it turned enough of a profit that uh, Bill Richard could take that money and and pay the the cast and crew. Um, and a lot of the cast and a lot of the crew of Winter Kills were in this other movie. Um,
2: he said that his goal with doing the other movie was to basically keep the main actors paid so they would, he wouldn't lose them on other, on other films and other projects. It's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't solely just to, like, finance the other film. It was, like, to...
3: Keep the team to do them yeah, as well. yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, Belinda Bauer, also from RoboCup 2. Uh, was in uh, American Success. Was it American Success Company story? Something like that? They just called Company. it Success after. Success. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, to, I, I haven't seen the movie, but I read through the plot and it sounds a lot like Trading Places. Mm. I haven't
2: read it. I haven't read anything about it.
3: Mm-mm. Neither have I.
2: Her tits are great though.
3: <laughs> She's a very pretty lady.
2: That was the most absurd sex scene I've ever seen in my life.
3: Or well, she's just screaming.
2: Yeah. It, it sounds like she's being assaulted. And, and meanwhile, he's like, Shoo, shoo, sh- quiet, quiet. <laughs>
3: As
1: he's smothering her in the face with a pillow.
3: You know what? On I, again, off again. And I thought, okay, this is going to get complicated because he's already part of one political assassination, yeah. and he's going to accidentally kill this girl with by, <laughs> by smothering her. Yeah. And now he's going to be implicated, and he's going to become a part of like the whole fucking apparatus mm-hmm. because they're going to have some kind of dirt on him. Which that's what I of, thought was going to happen. That's okay. not, of course, what does happen.
2: Which one of the Kennedy brothers killed that lady? Ted. Thank you.
3: Uh, what? Uh, Chep- Chep- Quattac, or yeah. Chep-
2: yeah, so I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it just it just would have fit right along with the narrative.
3: Mm-hmm. He didn't kill her; he just like let her die.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah. You it know, was just, the,
3: it was the water that killed her.
2: It just let her relax. He had to get
1: home. That family is bleak.
2: I want to know. He must have made a, a pact with the devil to get a certain amount of success in the country or in the world. To have almost every single one of his children like eviscerated in horrible ways Joe Kennedy yeah yeah
3: you're talking about the dad
2: yeah Joe Kennedy like Margaret awful oh, yeah. awful life all the boys
3: Joe or JFK jr yeah plane crash rosemary
1: lobotomy yeah yeah
2: so yeah so
1: did you look into him at all no I, interesting I, cat yeah he's a pretty interesting dude I don't know yeah. a lot about him made a fuck ton of money uh just investments mm-hmm. um he was like the youngest president of a bank at 25. <laughs> yeah, um, ended up becoming an ambassador to the UK under uh, I think Franklin D. Roosevelt, right? Little bootlegger money too. Yeah. yeah, 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 and like took a lot of that money and reinvested it in real estate and yeah. reinvested he it was, in
3: movies like RKO Pictures. He was very smart, and he was very he was very smart about money, and yeah. he was very good about keeping his hands clean, right. When he could, like a B grade Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he was also, um, again, speaking of venture capitalism, like he was. He was basically, he had our trajectory. He had a target and the target was the moon. And he was basically told himself, I can go from being an Irish Catholic nobody to president of the United States within a generation. Mm-hmm. One of my kids is going to be president. That was like the fucking plan. And like, look, he, he did it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: He, hit a, he hit a ceiling um, with some of his comments
1: apparently where when the UK was attacked by Germany, he mentioned that democracy was falling mm. and the us was going to fall follow suit shortly thereafter i think this is around 1940 so for him to be coming across publicly as being spineless and kind of giving up early in, in the fight like a year in mm-hmm. <laughs> after uh, not really a whole lot of uh, skin in the game himself right i think that that caused a bit of disgrace i also get the sense from teaming up with joseph mccarthy who is a republican Kennedy was a Democrat that there's probably a growing sentiment of which side is this guy on? Mm-hmm.
3: I think, I think he was a sausage maker. I think yeah. he, he just, he understood some, some, uh, necessary compromise and he would, he had a nose for power, um, is what I think as far as misjudgment on world war two, that's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you could think like this whole huge country separated by an ocean is going to fucking just give up on like year one right fuck that right especially as the ambassador to that country right Right. or maybe he's just like seeing what's in the water and he's seeing how bleak it is for england and the kind of very thin threads that they were hanging on by
1: right meanwhile the u.s in 1940s like what the fuck are you talking about like pearl harbor wasn't until the end of 1941 so it's like what are you talking about democracy is gonna fall yeah you're a member of the united states political elite you coward! Mm-hmm. You little piece of shit! Mm-hmm. You little fuck boy! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, John, it stays in. But John Houston's uh, interpretation of him is a lot of fun.
2: I yeah, ag- I agree. Yeah, I agree. John
1: Houston.
3: He seems like man. He's just uh He's unstoppable. <laughs> yeah, Holy I love. I
2: love that in every scene that he's in, it's an a, essentially a different environment every time, but it's a building he owns or a business he owns or a hospital <laughs> yes, he yes, owns. Yes, yes, yes. So, I, like, doctor
3: like, with an M sixteen guarding the door.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, I love. <laughs> so I love that he has investments in so many things that he may as well own every inch of concrete you walk on, right. any, anything yeah. you use. He's got a hand in it somehow. right? And and so I like that he's got this omnipresent feel about him. Mm -hmm. Um, But also he is just an incredible like Adderall addicted megalomaniac who's who's got some like 20 year old playing with his balls all the time. Right.
1: And he's indifferent to his son's journey because his older son was assassinated. So it's like all of my hopes and dreams were in this older brother who isn't as sensitive, aka as big of a, a pussy as you, mm-hmm. son. So it's like, oh, you'll eventually, you know. He mentions something in the movie about like, oh, you'll eventually figure this out. Like you'll you'll become a politician, but in the meantime, you know, I'm two steps ahead of you. I've already figured this out. In fact, mm-hmm. maybe I I made all this up so that you can figure it out and like grow up and understand the way the world works.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't look back over your shoulder.
0: Keep your eye on Freedom Show.
1: keep talking about john houston just as a reminder listener if you haven't picked up on yet re- recognize the name just as a reminder john houston is an iconic man uh he directed the Maltese falcon treasure of sierra madre asphalt jungle um chinatown chinatown and he did one of uh jet bridge's early movies fat city and so yeah i highly recommend this man
3: he also His- plays like space moses in the visitor
1: <laughs> oh my god
3: <laughs> yeah he's like uh Outer space messianic traveler man.
1: Is he a right hand man to Franco Nero? Yeah, like Franco Nero is space Jesus and he's like space Moses. Yeah. Okay, that's a yeah, fucking, yeah. that's a, the cast in that movie is as much of a banger as Winter Kills, maybe even more, actually. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm.
3: We'll never know. <laughs> Anthony Perkins, uh, we haven't even mentioned him yet.
1: No, no. So Anthony Perkins is basically the head of like the ministry of information. So it's like implied, like there's a central body that's controlling all of the telecommunications, whether it's phones or mm-hmm. TV, which right. obviously is a sobering re- reality. It was a, yeah, reality. Yeah. Reality for me of like, oh every,
2: yeah. Everything's bugged. Every contract yeah. ever signed, every contract ever broken, mm-hmm. you know, any, any conversation ever had is in this silo building, which, yeah. Um, when they were scraping the barrel of funds, actually did a really, really great shot where they uh, created a matte painting. I was
3: wondering if it was a matte painting. Yes,
2: yeah, it's, it's a matte painting with like a with like a small model mm-hmm. and then they had and they and they like had the camera way, way up high, and then they just had um extras just like kind of walking and looking up like way. Way, way down on yeah. Oh, like floor looking floor. up on
1: like a supercomputer like some massive yeah. electronic well they're
2: they're walking on the, the, the mat little, painting the
3: contract silo yeah. yeah i think is what you're talking yeah, about
2: yeah they're walking on the mat painting while they have they have like a miniature model that the yeah. camera is looking down on and so it gives the um illusion of that insane depth mm-hmm. and length of the building um and i i, I thought that was super cool i thought that, but it, he's essentially He's essentially God, so to speak, of anything that is ever operating or said or any deal ever made in the United States. Right. He absolutely knows about it.
3: Yeah. He's the Oracle. Yes. And uh, I think that in the context of this movie, the Saruti character played by Anthony Perkins uh, basically represents this idea, which you see in numerous 70s uh, paranoid thrillers, um, that the machine is beyond anyone's control. That we're all in this. Right, system. we're all slaves mm-hmm. to the machine. There's mm-hmm. this massive trap that we're all inside of. No one is in charge of it. It's basically just all in charge of us, and we have to participate with its machinery. Mm-hmm. And even Anthony Perkins, who's ostensibly the head of this thing, is basically like it's, it's a, uh, it's temple guardian. It's like he's the slave too. Like, mm-hmm. So he's not necessarily, even though he's. I mean, I don't want to give away. Go for it. Mm-hmm. He's ultimately the, the one that's um, uh, deemed the person who killed uh, Keegan, the JFK fella, which is kind of, I think, if you're actually interested in the JFK conspiracy, a bit of a cop out because yes. the idea is that, well, society killed JFK. Yes. That's the that's the notion that we get from Saruti being named. Yeah. Um, but he is in this absolute, speaking of Bond films, absolutely fabulous, like, villain's techno lair with like racks of computers and huge like spinning globes of the earth on little like you know catwalks that you have to walk out to with special phones and anyway i i want this guy's house yeah like it's so <laughs> wonderful i'm moving in so
1: not a not to be a bummer but just to uh to, to add a little bit of dimension to this i will say though that this to in addition to it being a cop out it also felt like a poor man's like Dr. Strangelove, mm-hmm. right? Where this this was a like central command center, you know, glossy cement tile uh, or cement floor with the the fancy 70s or 60s electronics in the case of Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Um, and he's giving kind of this, this monologue, which this movie came out the same year as Network, which again, similar, like the Ned Beatty monologue, very impactful. Whereas I feel like Anthony Perkins monologues were a bit rushed. This is also the same time uh, uh, earlier Allison brought up the uh, Elizabeth Taylor sequence being a little confusing. Part of it too, just to, to, to agree with you even more, is like Anthony Perkins is talking about he's, it's almost like a a mid movie exposition explaining even more connections quickly. And so it just like cuts to Elizabeth Taylor while he's talking in this computer room talks to uh, cuts to Elizabeth Taylor in another, like a hotel, you know, doing her thing and then cuts back to him while he's in the middle of his monologue. So yeah. it's like, it's just trying to do so much. And I think this, the, the movie is only like 90 to hundred minutes long. Yeah. It's, it's a very yeah, yeah. ambitious movie.
2: It's And that's for me really difficult to keep up with. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would find it really hard to believe that I'm the only person on the planet that is like, I don't really know what's going on. It's mm-hmm. going too fast. There's too many names. There's too many characters. I don't know who's who. Um, I I would find it hard to believe that I'm the only person that feels that way.
1: I was that way. I paused it three times, rewound it twice.
2: Yeah, it does. It's not, it's not set up very well in order to keep track of who's who.
3: Well, I think you just have to just take your hands off the wheel and just,
2: my hands were off, baby. My my hands were
3: off. I was
2: was in the, I was in the back goddamn (laughs) seat. Go for the ride. (laughs) I was like,
1: no, JFK did not get assassinated. If I put my hands on the wheel, I'll steer this in a place where he's still president. Yep.
2: I no today. No, it's fine. He's not. No, that's not true. I mean,
1: <laughs> do you really want to wade into these waters? No, no, no. I don't.
2: I don't want to weigh in these waters. No, he. Um, I
3: will
1: not
2: take this bait. Yeah. No. That was a. It's confusing. Tragic. But
3: there's also the whole idea of like the part of the confusion and the sort of manic scramble through different uh, monologues to kind of like explain this, this, this movie. And I don't what I don't know if you're going to talk about this, Brady, but it's like, it's a part of like a whole movement of films in the 70s that They're all paranoid conspiracy thrillers that all have like a monologue where they have to explain what's happening. And it's all about the, at least for, for an American audience about them processing the chaos and also the different disinterested, enchantment with major institutions that was happening from like the 1960s and 1970s so there are numerous films so you've got like capricorn one moon landing's fake china syndrome nukes are all gonna melt down <laughs> all the king's men which is literally like the story of like watergate yeah uh three days of the condor uh, which is the military industrial complex doesn't actually have sides they're just reinforcing themselves the conversation, which is more of like existential than any of them, mm-hmm. uh, the Parallax View from nineteen seventy four, Warren Beatty investigating invasion, the, uh, invasion of the uh, body snatchers. How well yeah. do you know people? Yeah, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like the whole the whole era of the seventies is all about this paranoia. Jesus fucking. Christ, well, I mean, man. like
2: think about what was going on at the time. I mean, it's like you have you had the Vietnam War, you had politicians caught in some of the most enormous scandals ever. Right. Of, of lying or trying to seek out uh, any kind of dirt or evidence from the other side. I mean, and and you had people coming Multiple back. Multiple
3: assassinations. Yeah, you
2: had people coming back from Vietnam who were really like, we won that war or we're not going to win this war right. or they keep sending us back or um, we didn't set that camp on fire or they set that camp. Like it was, yeah. you had so many different um, truths coming back mm-hmm. into that era, era that, I mean, these the society Society broke. Society died.
3: And you go from a period of like peak prosperity and peak possibilities of like the nineteen fifties and the picket fences and the washer dryer machines, the nuclear family, and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. And then, boom, nineteen sixty three. Like the space race, awesome. We're going to space. JFK gets assassinated. Merck into Vietnam. Martin Luther King and then Bobby Kennedy get assassinated mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you've got like what was the name of the report where they basically McNamara acknowledged that Vietnam was unwinnable. Yeah. You've got the the, the messy closure the the sort of the the victory followed by defeat in Vietnam and then you've got like basically scandal after scandal after scandal. My, my st- the Pentagon papers. That's it. The yeah. Pentagon and papers. And then
2: my my stepfather, I mean this is totally aside but my stepfather um actually found was one of the people that found evidence that um like, the U.S. was sending weapons to the Viet Cong, right? Yeah, so he he was one of the people that were like,
1: wait, what? Yeah, he, what was he doing at the time? What was so his job? he
2: he was a he's essentially a Green Beret, he was a special ops special forces guy, and he would just sit on the Viet Cong trail in a ghillie suit, essentially, oh. and then just like uh, do recon and stuff like that. Was he cool.
1: interviewed by the author of the book I just read, History of the CIA? Because they talk extensively about weapons being dropped in places to people who eventually ended up fighting the United States. Yeah,
2: he has has some... It's a common theme. Yeah, he has some devastating stories about that. Damn.
1: Should he be telling them?
2: I'm sure it's fine now. He's
1: so old. (laughs) (laughs) If he got assassinated... (laughs) Don't take the bait, Allison. Don't
3: take the bait. (laughs) He jumped off an oil rig in Siam. Yes. You know, I'm glad we
1: took an inventory and just to, to double back to, uh, the beginning of the segment where I played the intro to executive action from 1973. I mean, that movie is addressing JFK directly. Um, so for it to, to literally use this idea of like multiple, there are multiple shooters, uh, I don't know if there was anything prior to that film wise. There might be. I'd love to, I'd love for people to actually call in or send us a message, uh, given their knowledge um, to educate us a bit further. But I I get the sense that in the 70s, there actually weren't a lot of things that were directly uh, dealing with JFK. So for Winter Kills to come in and be like a half step removed from it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: had to be a fairly subversive idea or a, a novel. Idea, And that's probably why a lot of the cast and crew who a lot of them are heavy hitters, Mm -hmm. Oscar winners, not just the cast, but also the crew um, decided to hang on by the skin of their teeth Mm -hmm. because they feel like or they probably felt like this story hadn't been told this way or they hadn't society hadn't introspected in this way.
2: Well, and the and the the film is really subversive. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah. I mean,
3: can you imagine like if you, if you did not already have like the conspiratorial mindset yeah. going in this movie and it's just like shitting all over the Kennedy family.
2: Absolutely. I don't but, <laughs> but, no, Like there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like gratuity in this yeah. movie where it's violent, whether it be violence or sex or, um, or lifestyle, like, uh, talking about, um, some ideas that seemed like hyper progressive for the time and uh and so i think that probably you're right it tapped into this um this reality of society that no one else was talking about
1: mm-hmm. so life imitating art yeah. um after this movie was shut down a few times one of the last producers uh that we see in the copy that we all watched uh at the, the title at the very beginning uh avco company they shut it down during the second time i think or the third time uh and the idea was that they had a bunch of defense contracts ah, and ted kennedy was going to run for president so mm-hmm. there was this whole conflict of interest like basically the production company was probably told to not support anything mm-hmm. that was disparaging the kennedy family mm-hmm. adding to the conspiracy. Yeah. The mythology. Yeah, exactly. Like the movie is a part of the conspiracy. That's
3: (laughs) that it's actually representing. So, uh the Streisand effect. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I have to ask because this is our second JFK movie. Yeah. Who do you think killed JFK?
1: The mom. Okay.
2: I think that that's the most logical answer, in my opinion. I don't know. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of speculation that it was someone, like, maybe someone on the secret security team uh, that was like planted in there.
3: You you mentioned the story where some guy was just like. <laughs> Like had a, like a whoopsies yeah. with his gun or something. Pulp fiction style brain in people's uh, hair. Oh, where
2: where uh, was I listening uh, to that? Where someone... Royale with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I...
1: If only it were that simple. I
2: forgot what I was listening to, but yeah, someone had brought that up as like uh, an alternate theory that I had never heard so of like the,
3: the, the Zapruder film, you see like a, like a <laughs> yeah, secret yeah. serviceman like stumbling with his gun. Or he like sneezes. He's hold- yeah,
2: yeah. I was going to say he like, he's holding it and he sneezes and he accidentally hits the trigger. You know?
3: So, yeah.
2: Um, I, But I, I think it was mo- probably most likely the mom. I,
3: man, I, I I'm surprised that we have like uh you know, we're all in agreement here. I I have to agree. I think it was likely the mob. And the reason is because, you know, if you, you just read that book about the CIA, it's mm-hmm. like the CIA has lots of different ways of solving their problems. Right. Like they they don't have to necessarily deal with Congress in like a face-to-face relationship to right. be able to do what they need to do. So kind of whoever the president is, unless they're really up in their shit and like also understand the machinery of the CIA well enough to involve themselves they're kind of insulated from it. Right. So I don't really see JFK's uh, reluctance or resistance to the Vietnam War, which was real, as being a necessarily a major obstacle. And yet the whole um, Chicago in the 1960s, uh, Sam Giancana, and the whole concept of retribution from the city of Chicago, basically carrying the 1960 election for JFK over Nixon and what was the closest election um, before the Gore versus Bush in 2000, and then for JFK to put Bobby Kennedy as uh, head of the Justice Department. And, and attorney and, general. And, and, mm-hmm. Yeah, and attorney general, and then initiate RICO laws to go after the mob. Yeah. Like they would not have taken that very well. Yeah. Right. And with the, the book about the CIA, one of the thesis,
1: whether he's intentionally leading the reader to this or if it was just a natural progression based on the facts that are given to you is that the CIA is trying to blend this like idealistic democracy freedom thing, but also like needing to play dirty and lie and yeah. be some of the most corrupt motherfuckers ever. Yeah, And so yeah. it creates this analysis paralysis with the organization versus the mob where there's like no, there's no bond to, trying to apply to this democratic thing that, like, helped win World War II, Mm -hmm. right? It's just Mm -hmm. corrupt, 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 like, opportunistic, like, whether they're negotiating between the Cubans or the U.S., whether it's they're taking U.S. money and doing something else with it, you know. um, That seems to me the most logical, especially given their uh, connections to Jack Ruby and, Um, yeah.
2: And, you know, I have to say that Lee Harvey Oswald... Was not a talented man. No, and not a smart man. No, and that is an awful lot of um, praise and responsibility to be giving to one person. So I know, I know they needed a patsy. Yeah,
1: that's, a, that's like, a mighty fine <laughs>
3: shooting there, Oswald. Yeah,
2: yeah, and he he was not a talented man. No, I mean in, when he's in bragging. Any, no, in any aspect of his life, especially
1: though. when he's like bragging about. uh Whatever situation he's in bragging about the other contrarian politics, right? So whether it's yeah. like being like a Soviet citizen or wanting to be, you know, like be a part of that community. He like was to- he
2: was a professional contrarian. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He yes. was he
2: was a professional, so, annoying piece of shit. Yeah.
3: So unlike the film director, William Reichert, like he would have been really annoying at parties.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, I uh-huh. think he'd be probably uh-huh.
3: pretty aloof where like he had social anxiety and hang out in the bathroom. Uh, ah yeah. he'd be he'd be petting the cat.
2: Yeah, but if you got it, <laughs> if you got him started on the wrong conversation though.
3: Oh yeah. Uh, you know. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. That guy mm-hmm. was
2: that guy was not
1: good. Not okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Kennedy mentioned the the I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, that he would joke on the eve of the election that his so sorry, JFK said um when he beat Richard Nixon the first time, or when Richard Nixon ran for the first time. JFK would joke that on the eve of the election, his father had asked him the exact number of votes he would need to win. There was no way he was paying for a landslide. Ah, okay. mm, mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think senior was savvy enough that like there's some playfulness or this kind of like projecting things as being closer than they actually are, which I can make sense like as a banker. I mean, you're manipulating people all the time. Oh, sure.
2: Who was remind me the name of the writer of the of Little Murders?
3: Uh, Jules Pfeiffer, yeah.
2: I think it was Jules Pfeiffer's opinion that Kennedy was the first, um, uh, like, robot essentially put into put into office that he was the first non presidential or non. Um, you know, basically, he's just a plant. Yeah, he's a plant. Thank you. Jules
3: needs to dig a little bit deeper because there are some of those caretaker presidents from like the late eighteen <laughs> hundreds that uh, had absolutely no business being in office except it wasn't for like you know, like the sugar trust or mm. like the yeah, the oil or whatever. Like mm. like uh, McKinley and uh, Taft and some of these other guys. Like they they were not like they were not like the people's champion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They were some some big fat cats got together and picked the guy that they thought was the most like amenable to their cause. You know what we're gonna do for our Patreon? What's now that? that we're talking about again? The
1: dam is broken loose again. I want Josh to talk about McKinley and Taft, just like a
3: multi-series. I'm gonna roast these motherfuckers. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: sexy history with Josh. Grosso. Teapot
3: dome scandal. Don't get me started. Oh.
1: <laughs> oh man, so I want to go back to the crew a little bit. I want to talk about uh the cinematography. So that is of no, I mean, we hinted at it earlier. Um, that the crew was made up of a bunch of heavy hitters, and I do want to, I want, I want to ask your uh, get your, get your take on uh, how it was shot. So this was shot by Vilmos Zsigmond who went on to uh, get an Oscar for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which we have talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, He has been nominated multiple times for other movies like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, The Mm -hmm. Deer Hunter, Mm -hmm. um, et cetera. So, Allison, I'll kind of put it to you. Like, the shots early on in, like, the California desert, you know, when he, like, rides the horse and goes to the top, and he's like, God damn you, Pa! You stink, Pa! (laughs) You stink! You little stinker! Um, yeah, like there's a lot of like wide open shots. So I'm just kind of curious if you, um, if that was a part of the movie that stuck out to you.
2: It was, I, there, there was shots of areas of, of that don't make sense together. Uh, we had like mm. high desert mm-hmm. and then the ocean and then like a lake somewhere. Um, and a golf course and a golf course. And that
3: was detracting.
2: I don't Did know. No, 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 no. It, they were, I mean, they were beautiful. They, we had a lot of, um, we had a lot of beautiful shots of, of like the yard and the land that they owned even the um tank fight that yeah, was happening yeah, yeah. you know with some of those shots i thought were great you know you had some high up uh, probably crane and everything and it was it was i thought it was really really well done but um that that especially where he's he jumps on the stallion and starts like <laughs> booking it fucking three hours away from the property only <laughs> to, to,
3: to basically yell at his dad yeah that yeah was, exactly he want his dad to hear him you
2: stink pa <laughs> you stink and, you know, they, and they
3: gave jeff bridges a really great horse because he can't ride that well
2: that would mm. no that was like that you was can,
3: some... you can see how stiff his legs are it's like you gotta bounce with the horse and like he's not at all the horse is doing all the work
2: that was a well-trained horse a lot of. it was a good horse yeah it's a good horse
3: grew I'm up good. on a farm
1: Josh Griffith Stiff legs I did not I did not pick up I was going to
3: make I was going to make a a comment that's I was going to say that Jeff Bridges rides like a girl but the reality is that most girls actually ride way the fuck better than Jeff Bridges so Mm. Jeff Bridges just rides like like a sack of potatoes
2: (laughs) Thanks Josh (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for Thanks for cleaning that up
3: (laughs) Josh Griffith the true
1: feminist on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) I'm a progressive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Women, not sacks of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got to. I got to go back and actually watch it just be, just for that. Uh, just
3: watch his legs. There's like he's just. It's like he's driving a car. Anyway,
2: I. It's not my not my specialty, but anyway, I I did think earlier in the movie it there were shots that were much more balanced and well thought and beautiful and then i felt like there was a switch where the angles were kind of funky and the framing was strange and some of the close-ups were strange and conversations i
3: think the early part to build on what you guys are saying i think the early parts of the movie we're getting like this far-flung jet set adventure where we've got helicopters and ships on the ocean deserts and tanks and like lots of scenery and then it goes to a much more closed in Maybe, I guess you could say claustrophobic interior view of like uh, rooms with people and machinery. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of like the, the transition. I don't know how intentional that was. Maybe it's a product of like the, of the writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as like the cinematography goes, I thought it was really great. Like I think that um, like top marks for production.
1: Yeah, and to add to that, the, we're talking about interiors. Um, the production designer was uh, Robert Boyle. He also did other movies like Hitchcock's uh, North by Northwest, Marty and the Birds. He also did Filler on the Roof. So he was nominated for a number of Oscars as well. Um, and for it being an $8 million movie at the time, uh, it was considered an indie. And so between it being an indie with the troubled production, there's a lot of effusive praise for Robert Boyle for being inventive uh, or scrappy for coming up with, with ways of making the the set to look really great. So, it looks expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So goddamn,
3: this movie is
1: fucking weird.
3: We haven't mentioned Eli Wallach, no. Again, like a whole part of like this like stack cast. <laughs> uh, again, I just I when I saw his name on the credits, I was like, holy smokes, this is mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, Dorothy Malone has been in a bunch of stuff, but I don't really know her work that well. Dorothy is the um. Dorothy D- is the mom. The mom with the dog that oh. uh, that gets killed. That yeah.
1: accidentally smothers her dog in her sleep. Yeah.
2: yeah. So it's my grandpa,
1: my grandpa owned three Yorkies. Um, now this is a mini Yorkie, uh, or sorry, this is a toy Yorkie. So a little bit smaller than my a grandpa's tworkey, <laughs> a, a yoy I, I don't know. Um, I've owned multiple terriers in my life. I recognize terriers can be shrill at times, um, but goddamn Yorkies are annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate Yorkies. So to have this like toy Yorkie that's just like. Shitting like, its what, pants.
3: What did Yorkies ever do to you? What's what? What's they up are with Yorkies? Super annoying. They're, they're or they or the yippers. Like what's the yippers? The, the, they just they're got they're anxious energy. Overly confident dogs. Yeah. Oh. And yeah. Oh. Are, okay. That are like
2: just they shiver and then they they like do weird bursts of like angst. And, and anger, and then, but they also know that they can't do anything. So they run.
1: Yeah, outside. they're it like. Sounds a, they're like you're
3: describing a Chihuahua. I was
1: gonna yeah, say yeah, they're, they're, like they're, B-tier. they're like a B tier. Yeah, they're like a B tier. Chihuahuas are the worst. No, inst- no, no, maybe Pomeranians A. Yeah. Chihuahua B and Yorkies are C. Yeah. In terms of. Uh, they're
2: instigators. Yeah. And they can't. Yeah, they can't hold up.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. They suck. Yeah. They fucking suck. If you own one of those dog breeds and you listen to the
3: show. Kill hit your us- dog. I got <laughs> is what we're saying. I was going to say, hit us up, try to justify their okay, existence. That's better. I'm sure your precious little angel is fantastic. It
2: fits in my bag.
3: Mm-hmm. Good job, <laughs> princess. Good job,
1: uh, Esmeralda, with your uh, Brazilian supermodel career funding this uh, bespoke Yorkie that came from some...
2: I got this new backpack that has a bubble in it and I can put it in there.
1: Are those still a thing? Yes. Yes. Great job Uh, walking at that guy.
3: We got there. We
1: got there.
2: Make her a reoccurring character.
1: Who else? I mean, you you brought up Eli Walk. Who who was the woman that had the orgasm? Alison Brunenbauer. Belinda Bauer. Bauer. She was great. She had like a... She was wonderful. She had like a Gene (laughs) Seabird. They're going to call the cops. This sounds like the Cohen-Oskotsky soundtrack. (laughs) The the hit documentary film...
2: (laughs) It was like, she was also like biting for butterflies when he, she was like, (laughs) uh,
3: as far as stat cast, uh, Richard Boone, again, like a lot of these, a lot of these are like, uh, golden era Hollywood actors Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. are in now, you know, at the, towards the end of their careers. And they're still doing this very outlandish, audacious movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Toshira Mifune. I don't know how they landed
1: him. Yeah. that's fucking crazy. I mean, it's only like three to five minutes and he had to like learn his English lines phonetically. I never heard him Mm -hmm. speak English,
3: but no, you're right. I mean, I got to say mostly I was like just aghast at uh, Elizabeth Taylor. That was the one that would really like, like blew my doors off. (laughs) Everyone else was like, wow, this is like, it just keeps going.
2: Well, I mean, going back really quickly to Belinda Bauer, this was, I think her first role ever and, um, and part of it had to do with the fact that I think, uh, William Reichert was just at the right place at the right time to see her undressing in her own room. Wait, and, what? yeah, he like, nice. he like saw her and was like, <laughs> holy smokes. What a babe. He was like, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen.
3: That sounds like bullshit. And is he, that what he said out loud?
2: Well, that's what he said her. in this interview that I was listening to. And so um, he went, found out that she's a famous model. He's
3: yelling at it through her window.
2: <laughs> oh my God. It's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Um, so he finds out that she's this model. They start dating and apparently Jeff Bridges is highly uncomfortable doing that sex scene with her because he didn't want Reichert to be like offended at oh, all. I believe it. Yeah. So he was he was very trepidatious about doing that scene. Apparently Riker didn't give a shit. He was like, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Nail my lady. <laughs> so huh. anyway. So huh. but she was perfect for it. I mean she's confident, sexy, bisexual woman with those long, long legs. You know, she was great.
0: Yeah, and
1: I love when she comes in the suit. Um, with the pant like the pants, yeah, scene. the whole Annie Hall thing, yeah, oh, she looked great, yeah, mm-hmm. she did. What a uh, cool
3: look, too,
1: 100%. Yeah,
2: what a serve woman with trousers,
1: she just rips them off. How am I gonna Has hide my labia? <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> is that an inner monologue that you have? What's going <laughs> That was hyper specific. <sighs> I gotta go there. You're You're opening a can of worms here, and I gotta, I gotta. Yeah. I got to eat those worms. We got yeah. a lot. We got a lot more to worry about. I'm just saying down there.
2: You guys do? Yeah.
1: I've been I've been urged or I've been I've been cur- I've been encouraged. I've been cheerled. I've been my hand has been held to this well Brady of short Kimble. shorts. But I'm the up. problem is like if you wear short shorts and you wear like short boxers. Yep. There's a. I'm with you. There's an increased liability that, like a life insurance company, is like, "Ooh, you're a greater risk of ball ball leakage."
3: Yeah, the pony is gonna get out of the stable.
2: <laughs> Gentlemen, I do not ever want to hear again that you are dealing with more down there than we are. Of having our I, no, no no having our own terrarium. No, between I, our legs. All right. Fair Where enough. if goddamn if we just if we wear a pair of leggings for a second too long and it changes the bacterial ecology within us, it's a whole issue.
1: I appreciate you putting me in my place. I amend my statement. We have a lot more three dimensionally going on that is a light like it. It's sure, it's it's sure. it's saggy. I I admit, it's, it's, I admit it's that you doughy. get.
2: I admit that you get some escapees.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. I
2: admit that. But we also d- will have random waterfall situations that we can't control.
1: Look, I've seen Polly Shore in Biodome. I get it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I got Polly Shore. I picked it up on a bad date.
0: Buddy.
2: He's being totally awesome inside of my uterus right now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Nugs and grindage. <laughs>
2: Oh, God. One of the Baldwin brothers are in there.
1: Oh <laughs> well, that's going to do it for tonight.
3: <laughs> uh, I want to hear your reviews. Who wants to go first? All right. Uh, this movie came out 15 years before Oliver Stone's GFK, which rehashes a lot of the same plot points. Mm. But holy smokes, Winter Kills is so audacious, both in terms of like the production itself as well as the movie. Incredibly stacked cast. So much fun to watch. Um, I, I'll just tip the hat. I'll just say I enjoyed this movie a lot more than the last one. I'll just say that. Mm. Uh, mostly just because like I couldn't pull myself away from the roller coaster. Uh, John Houston dominates every scene that he's in. But there are so many fun surprises from other like cameos. Um, great cinematography. Uh, interesting story that basically walks you through this spiraling labyrinth of a spider web that addresses both like the, the fall from grace, the the sense of paranoia and confusion that apparently everyone was dealing with in the 1970s regarding every major institution. Uh, winter kills. I think I, if it's not already, is destined to be a cult classic. If you haven't seen this movie, you should check it out. It's definitely uh, worth your while at a relatively lean and ambitious hour and forty minutes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I strongly recommend this movie, and I enjoyed it very much. I'm going to give it a exceptional eight. Nice.
2: I did not enjoy the movie. I um, I, I agree that the cast was exceptional. I agree that uh, the cinematography was absolutely beautiful. However, I don't think that the problems with production weren't unseen with the final result. And I felt that in the pace of the film and with the amount of detail we're getting in such a short amount of time, I felt very lost the whole time up until the end when I finally figured out who the two main characters were. So um in the sense for me, despite my enjoyment of uh Jeff Bridges and John Houston and uh Anthony Perkins, which I feel like his his portrayal of kind of the the gaunt soothsayer in the background with a very modern haircut um I thought I really, really enjoyed his performance, but i I would say overall the film to me feels like a bit of a mess. And, um, and so I don't know that this is something that I, I would recommend. I do agree that I'm sure, I'm certain there's a, a, a cult following for this. This is also just not my style of movie. Um, I, I, I tend not to follow a lot of Bond films. I tend not to follow a lot of espionage films or conspiracy films because I often, there's, there's so many moving parts. Um, and we all know that I just like to see heads explode. So, I'm going to give this movie a five, and uh, you know, I my of the two, my my preference was Little Murders. I really thought that that knocked it out of the park. But yeah,
1: yeah, nice. Riffing off of something Alison just said about procedurals or like espionage movies, um, Zodiac is one of my favorite movies of all time because it deals methodically with this idea of paranoia trying to solve the puzzle. And if you just kind of chip away at it, eventually you'll kind of figure it out. But also at the same time, it's an unsolvable puzzle. And so you're constantly trying to like deal with this, like four dimensional, five dimensional Rubik's cube that, um, human brains can't comprehend. Back to Spock. <laughs> <laughs> Butt stuff. <laughs> no one will know what we're talking about. Are you hot it. Spock
2: or mediocre Spock?
1: <laughs> oh boy. Um, so using Zodiac is kind of like my bar of that kind of movie that Allison described. I mean, this comes up extremely short for a lot of the reasons that Allison described. I feel like this is a bunch of little vignettes kind of barely held together and it's held together by the duct tape that is John Houston. Um. Jeff Bridges does a good job of being, like, a proto-dude. Uh, I wonder if the Coen brothers actually watched this movie and were inspired. I don't know how many other movies jo- uh, Jeff Bridges ask, acts this way, where he's just, like, hands up. I, like, I
2: mean, I kind of feel like uh, like Gordon Lightfoot. What was it?
1: Thunder and Lightfoot. Thunder and Lightfoot.
2: Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. I felt like he was this way in um, Tron.
1: Somewhere in these
2: programs.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where <laughs> is it's like,
2: he, I mean... He is a joyful new spirit.
1: Yeah, he's got he's got curious confusion.
2: Yes. Um, Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know if there's a singular word for that. That uh, naivety. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I feel like the the cast, the cinematography, um, the two co-hosts that I'm looking at that are (laughs) shooting looks at each other. I I just I'm just thinking about
3: Tron again. Quoting Tron, uh, yeah, are are trying
1: to suss this out. Um, I feel like this movie is, I don't know. We you both mentioned the cult movie. I don't, I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is. Um, it's an awesome curiosity. I'm glad I brought it to the show. I think this movie is extremely uh, well deserved of being discussed. Um, but I too, like Allison, prefer Little Murders over this because Little Murders is doing a lot of. Uh, social commentary in a very assured way, right? Like Jules Pfeiffer has a command of the English language, a command of satire, a command of constantly putting the viewer on their toes. um, Where as soon as you have a, you settle on a thesis or an opinion about the situation, the movie makes you feel disgusted for siding with that character. Um, Whereas this just kind of feels like a, a bit of an academic exercise, mm-hmm. um, so it, it left me feeling cold. And I also am giving this a fiddling five. Oh, fi- uh, no, that's middling five. of fizzing,
3: a, f- a, f- a farty five. There you go. Well, you guys are wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and when I discuss the teapot dome scandal, I'm taking you down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> William so Kinley. Subscribe to our Patreon at <laughs> patreon.com solid six for only $2 a month. You can get Josh's hot takes on the turn of the century. Josh's rats. hot takes on history.
2: Hats. Yeah. Hot takes.
0: <laughs>
1: well, until next time, uh, as a reminder, uh, follow us on Instagram. Uh, solid six podcast, Twitter solid six podcast. Please DM us. Uh, You can follow us on letterback letterbox.com. I've actually been getting a lot of followers recently. I don't know what's, what the deal is. I don't Same. know if it's. Um hot sh- the show, or if it's because of my awesome, insightful review of female executioner.
2: I did just recently rewrite my review for um Demon House, and I feel like that really upped my um uh sexuality on Letterboxd. Mm.
1: Your sexuality?
2: Yeah.
1: Mm, I gotta go read this review. <laughs> I don't know.
2: This is <laughs> Dick First.
1: <laughs> Jeez. No, it's balls first, Allison. When you wear short shorts and short boxers, it's balls first.
2: There was a time in Los Angeles when I was working on a student film for AFI. And we were in the middle of um, Skid Row. And there was uh, someone wearing baby shorts. And it was very hot. And their balls were very low. and um,
3: Because of the heat.
2: Because of the heat. Or because they had enormous balls, I don't know, but uh, that was that um that was something that happened in Los Angeles. That was like where it sounds like an LA story. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's that's memoir. That's something that happened in Los Angeles. (laughs) All these stupid stories about saggy balls and sweaty Uh, labias. I had
2: I had so many ridiculous moments in los angeles for the mere four years that i lived there mm. so
1: well for two dollars a month uh listeners saw it at patreon.com slash solid six you can listen to allison uh early previews of her memoir before she gets published by penguin random house
2: so this one time at seth mcfarlane's birthday party oh my God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> save it save it for the patreon um yeah. Solid6.net slash voicemail. Please send us a voicemail. We would love hearing from you. Podcast at Solid6.net. We'll read your email on the show. We have done that 100% of the time. Sure. We've edited a few paragraphs out. Um, we've had to paraphrase a little yeah, bit. A little bit. I'm done hosting. So moving on. Joshua. Rip Has got the next, uh, indeed, uh, Next
3: couple picks, so I don't know if... Joshua. it!
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so if you've been listening to this show recently, you know that I've been flirting with this notion of doing a period romance series. But I decided to go with something a little bit louder, and I ended up with Lush Historic Epics. Whoa! So we're going to get ready... Get ready! For... Uh, Lucino Visconti's 1963 film, The Leopard. Mm -hmm. Immediately followed by Ridley Scott's debut film, 1977's The Duelists. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. So get ready for some uh, historic costumes.
0: Yay! Oh,
3: Josh and
1: I are loving the 70s. I dig it. I haven't seen The Leopard in like a decade. Um, I've never seen
3: it. uh, It's Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster. In an Italian movie. Three More. hours. I've been reading a lot about Garibaldi. Mm. Yeah,
1: I've got the Blu-ray. I'm curious. Go back and watch the special features. Maybe I'll watch the three-hour movie and re-watch it with the commentary like I typically do. Just so,
3: yeah. <laughs> say I'm, like, I'm unemployed. Uh, what for
1: punishment. Brady no, it's, it's a pure joy to be on this podcast with the two of you. So oh. I'm excited hey. that Joshua <laughs> has picked these two movies. And uh, I'm sure that... Allison... De uh, we'll have a lot of interesting insights about the sweaty costumes. Okay. I
2: did I really do some up. research on how women went to the restroom wearing all of those petticoats um, back in the day, but we can talk about it next week. Rad. A lot of, lot of uh, soaking corn cups. Oh, geez. Can't wait to talk about
1: it. Lovely. Woo! Well, my name is Brady Kimball. <laughs> <laughs> and until next time,
3: Adios, muchachos. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.